Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Family Prosperity Podcast. Again, I'm Michael Redden, and today we're going to talk about asset protection that's already built in, something that everybody has. No one has to do anything really to get it. It's kind of built in just for being alive. So again, you know, let's look back again. We should start every asset protection conversation with the philosophy, the theory behind it. Every one of our asset protection strategies should come into one of two categories, right? Either it separates your business from you or it separates you from your money. So once again, this is in the separate you from your money category, okay? And uh, you really can't do any kind of asset protection unless you know what chips you've got on the table, right? Unless you know what's at risk. You're always going to have something at risk, especially if you're in business. But this is today's episode is pertinent to business owners, to families, to people who uh, are members of your family who aren't in business, or even if you're that uh, higher paid executive or that professional and you're looking to start business or looking to start to bring your family together and really organize your family wealth, this is going to help you know what's actually on the table for you personally. You can never take everything off the table, uh, and, you, and you shouldn't really, but this is at least going to let you know what's at risk because you you make much better decisions knowing exactly what's at risk and uh, putting at risk only what you want to put there. So um, this is a difficult thing to answer because... Each person out there, depending on what state you're living in, is going to have a different answer to this, okay? Every state out there puts out um, what's called your exemptions, your exemptions from judgment. They're defined by statute, they're defined by your legislature, and they really go over what um, a judgment creditor can come get. And sometimes... These even dictate what's going uh, can be taken even in a bankruptcy. Most of the time, people are going to use just federal law for bankruptcy, but sometimes it's the state law. So these these things are very very important, and it's really going to help you answer what's kind of at risk. Now, other things to note: even if your state level law would have said that hey, your house is exempt, right? There are some states who make the house completely exempt. We know that's not true for everybody, right? And who's it not true for? Well, it's not true for those people who gave you the money to buy the house, who put liens on it and did those mortgages, right? So think about that piece, okay? If you've put something as collateral, it's not really a part of these exemptions, right? It's exposed, at least to that one creditor who's got the lien. And we want to do this, you know, we, we want to have mortgages, we want banks to give us loans to buy things. And sometimes we even want the bank to have a lien on there. And we'll talk about that uh, later on, of course. We'll want that bank to have a lien on something so that we can help better protect it. That's actually a strategy is to give a, a, a collateral lien sometime. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the future. And these exemptions really talk about divorce. I mean, excuse me, not divorce, but the judgments. They don't talk about divorce. They talk about judgments. And that's if that creditor that you owe money to sues you, they go to court, they get a judgment, and now they want to come take your stuff. They didn't have a lien. You didn't give them collateral at first. They just got, maybe it was a regular contract, maybe it was some kind of a business dispute. 
maybe you accidentally had a car accident, hurt someone, and they sued you and the insurance didn't cover everything, it's all going to come back to judgments at that point. And when a judgment hits, that's when that creditor usually gets to come after your stuff, right? Well, there are no state in America is going to let you just be completely broken up and take everything, right? Every state has that minimum of stuff that they say that someone needs to live, that we're not going to let you take. Uh, you know, capitalism has its limits and that recovery has its limits because remember, creditors have to put things at risk too, right? You put things on the line, put your assets on the line to start a business or to go about your, the world there. When a creditor gives you credit, when a creditor does a service and things for you, they have a risk too. And sometimes that risk in capitalism is you're going to lose everything. And if you have nothing left but this bare minimum, they've lost everything. Now, I kind of slipped up and said divorce before, but that's, that, that brings me to my next point here. These also don't cover divorce, right? Divorce isn't about creditors coming and getting you things. Divorce is about basically splitting up what was brought as wealth from a marriage and, and handing those things out equitably. You can still protect yourself from divorce, and you can still minimize what you're going to lose from divorce, but it's outside of the topic right now. So if you put a lien on it, or has to do with divorce and you own it personally, they're not really what we're talking about today. We're talking about the stuff that you didn't put liens on, or even if you got a lien on it, it it's the creditor who doesn't have the lien, okay? And basically, like we've already talked about, these are called your exemptions from judgment. And they're that minimum level of wealth that our legislatures have said that every person's entitled to and shouldn't lose. Federally, that's in the bankruptcy code, right? There's, there's, you go bankrupt, what they let you keep is that minimum level of wealth that people need to survive because we don't have debtors' prisons here in this country. But for most judgments, it's going to be that state level that we're looking at. And these exemptions are also split up into two separate categories. They're split up into business-level exemptions and personal exemptions, okay? Because there's a, a judgment can be against your business, right? Someone could sue your business and get a judgment. They may sue your business and you and get a judgment against both. Well, those business-level exemptions that, you're, that you can still find about, we might talk about those a little bit later in a different podcast as well. But that's if they sue John's uh, Quickie Mart get a judgment, and then come take property out of the business. We're talking about if they sue you, the judgment against you, and they're coming after the stuff you own. Could be that business, could not be, right? And this is just the stuff they give some examples. This is a, a, a topic that if you wanted to cover every state or you wanted to cover the ins and outs of everything, you might have a four or five hour podcast. So we're not going to really cover that part today. But we're going to give you some ideas on how to go and look and see what your state has that's exempt so you know exactly what you've got on the table and give you some examples of the kind of stuff that you want to look for in things because you really need to know what's at risk before you um, step up to business or you step up to the riskier things in life. And um, that's everything from business to investments to those other kinds of things. So... You also, when we're talking about these things, one thing you're going to notice about each state when you look at these personal exemptions is they treat things a little bit differently, right? They treat your wages. They treat your savings accounts, 
your money market accounts, your stocks, your bonds, they teach them, they treat things differently whether or not they're purely liquid or if they're a different kind of property like a life insurance policy or your house or your car. Most of the time, they're going to talk about how much equity in a house or a car you can protect, right? You, they, they, they don't plan on you protecting the whole asset if it's worth a whole bunch of money. You can protect up to a certain amount. So at least there's a minimum piece of that investment that you can keep back. Um, and for your wages and things like that, they're going to talk about what percentage of this ongoing income flow you can keep, right? Some of them are going to say they can garnish a certain percentage of the wages. Some are going to say you can protect a certain percentage, protect a certain amount. And that language is just about how much income they think is a bare minimum that people should be able to keep. And to kind of illustrate this point a little bit, let's look first at the state that everybody talks about, right? So many people talk about Florida, right? Florida, Florida, Florida when it comes to asset protection because um, Florida has an unlimited exemption in your homestead, right? If you live in that house and it fits the definition of a homestead, they're not going to give you a a 500-acre estate and let you call it that way. But, you know, they have size limits and things like that. Whatever money's in there is protected. So there are actually people out there that will talk about, hey, I'm going to retire. I'm going to take all my money, and I'm going to go to Florida, and I'm going to invest it all in my house, pay for a huge house, keep it there, and then no one can get me. And if there are creditors that come back behind there, they're just out of luck. Uh, Florida's exemptions are contained in Florida Statute Section 222, if you kind of want to ever look that up. And why am I saying they even statute now? That's, that's, you know, that's lawyer talk, right? Well, somebody's going to want to go back after this and look and see what their state's exemptions are. And in your state, most of the time it's going to be in a statute, and you'll need to search something on Google like Florida Statute Judgment Exemptions from to come up. Things like that. You'll get a lot of different articles, some legal aid, some other things, but somewhere in there is going to be the link to the actual statute from the legislature that's going to spell it all out in black and white. And I would read those articles and that. And if I still had questions, then maybe I'd ask a lawyer or somebody. But it's going to give you a really good idea of what you got got out there. Now, in Florida, a lot of other things are exempt. Your annuities your retirement accounts, including your IRA, completely exempt. No creditors ever going to get to touch those, which makes sense, right? Florida has all those retirees coming down there, and they want to encourage them to keep coming. When, and in order to become that retirement haven, people need that retirement income. Now, let's talk about your car in Florida. You could have a $5,000 used Taurus, or you could have a $300,000 Maserati. You're only going to be able to protect up to $1,000 in equity in there. So if there's more than $1,000 in equity, that creditor can take your car and give you that $1,000. Your personal property in Florida, okay? Not including like your clothes, but you know, that could be your jewelry, your other assets that are there. It could be your home office supplies. It could be grandma's silver. It could be your shotguns. We're talking about up to $4,000. $4,000 worth of those assets can be protected. You could combine it. Put the $4,000 and the $1,000 on the car together and make $5,000 and protect your car. But then, you know, 
They can walk through your house and grab the other valuables. And most states are going to protect things like your wedding rings, so don't, don't, don't really worry about that. Some states will let that happen, but most it's going to be your wedding ring. It's going to be protected at least up to a certain percentage of dollars. I'm not going to talk about that today, but that's something to talk about for your personal exemptions. Now, the wages in Florida are very interesting. If you've got a family and you're the head of household, which most of our listeners are going to be, your wages can't be garnished. They're kind of protected because they've got to pay for other folks. Now, if you don't have that family, part of that's going to be exposed. And this isn't absolute. There are always ways around. I can't tell you that people with families in Florida never get their wages garnished. because Maybe that money hits the bank account and things. Maybe things change. There's always those little exemptions. But the intention of Florida is to protect the wages of a head of household. Now contrast that with a different state. Let's go just a little bit further west. Let's go to Arkansas. In Arkansas, they've got the homestead fairly exempt. They've got uh, your wages a little bit different, though. In Arkansas, for the wages, you can protect the first $25 of wages per week. $25 a week is all you're guaranteed allowed to make. After that, exemption can begin. I mean, excuse me, garnishment can begin. They can start taking it. You see the vast difference in different ways states handle it, so you kind of want to know what's there. This also could really affect you on how you want to classify the money you're taking out. Do you want it to be wages? What do you want it to be? Now, I'll give you another example. In Arkansas, if you were to die, because you know most of us, we have our debts with our families, right? You and your wife kind of both have that debt. Well, if you die, leave your wife a million dollars in that life insurance, that proceeds. $500 is exempt if you had some kind of contract on that. Think about that. If you pledge your life insurance, it's collateral, and a lot of us have had to do that. $500 is an exempt. That's it. The state that I live in, the state that I practice in Minnesota, is even, even more different, okay? This isn't, and I'll, I'll tell you something about politics here. This isn't a red state, blue state kind of thing, right? Florida is a red state. And they allow for a whole bunch of exemptions and a whole lot of things to be protected. Arkansas is a red state. A whole lot more exposed, a whole lot more there. It really comes down to the state's constitution and that attitude towards debt and things itself. Is the attitude more, hey, they signed that contract, they made that agreement, they're going to have to get it taken, versus we're capitalists here. Things are at risk. Sometimes things don't go bad. I mean, we're not going to let people get busted out. Minnesota's a blue state, and you're going to find that in this state, more than most, there's a lot more things that are not going to be exempt. And that's because Minnesota's state constitution has this provision in it that says, hey, the legislature can't exempt an unreasonable amount. Well, you know, if you're going to find out in the law, reasonable is a four-letter word. That's, please interpret me. Please make laws from the bench judge. And legislatures know that. And so every time somebody talks about someone legislating from the bench, ask that legislature, 
Did you use the word reasonable? Because you could have said something different. Instead, you said, please, judge, use your gut. Tell me what's reasonable. Tell me what you think. And that's the way the law is. So we can't give them too much of a hard time. Well, in Minnesota, the homestead's exempt up to around $370,000, okay? Anything after that can be taken. So if you got a $400,000 house and you own it scot-free, they can still sell it. they got to give you the 300 and some change. They can still sell it and keep the rest. In Minnesota, basically for wages, they can garnish 25% of whatever it is. Okay? 25% of it. That could be 25% of a million dollars a year. That could be 25% of $10,000 a year. That's what they can get. And in Minnesota, unlike other states, IRAs and annuities and retirement plans, they're exposed. If they're not that 401k that's in your ERISA plan, then they hold them all together and they say, hey, if you've got more, and this changes each year, if you've got more than $72,000 combined in your IRA and that annuity, well, you can keep that $72,000. We're taking the rest. They have similar things. I think it's forty-five or sixty thousand right now. Things just things get changed right around this time of year, July, August, right? That's when everyone kind of adjusts to the new inflation terms and things. But even if you die and they receive a payout from life insurance, your spouse can only keep forty-five, sixty grand, and maybe fifteen thousand per kid extra in Minnesota's. But what about it before you die? You know, a lot of us get that cash value life insurance policy and we put a lot of money in there and we pledge that as collateral to the bank. Well, even if we don't pledge it as collateral, what if it's a part of an employee compensation package? What if they said, hey, we'll give you that split dollar life insurance. We'll put all this money away for you inside this life insurance policy and you work for the next 10, 15 years and you get to keep it, that bonus. We'll cover... Key employees uh, and how I keep them happy in a later podcast, but setting up life insurance for people and buying that as an as, as an investment or as a business tool is, is something that's commonly used at higher low wealth levels. Once you get up above that starting out business stage and you really want to keep employees together, that's used a lot. And maybe you did it as a part of your own retirement strategy and investment strategy. You needed life insurance and you decided you know to keep it and convert it because you were getting all that money there. In Minnesota, you can keep around $10,000 of that. So if you've got $400,000, $100,000 in cash value, well, you can keep $10,000 of it. The creditor can take the rest. And this is all because Minnesota has that constitutional provision, that attitude that, hey, if you made the, if you made that contract, if you made that agreement, didn't work out. You're going to pay it back. They take better care of creditors and have that better personal responsibility element than the red states of Florida and Arkansas. Think about that. And they're a blue state. So don't get it twisted on these politics, right? Politics plays a lot of different things. But legislatures, when it comes to debt collection and debt things, they're, they're kind of stuck between the Capital Ones and everyone else of the world and the conservative elements of the world, and the liberal elements saying they want to help people and protect people, right? Because remember, their attitude also is, if it gets too bad, that's what bankruptcy's for. 
And you never really want to go down there, but sometimes bankruptcy is the answer. But when we're in business and we're building wealth, we don't want to go through bankruptcy, right? So this tells you what that minimum part's at risk. You know, if you're in Minnesota, you got a lot more risk than you do in Florida. You need to know what's at risk, though, because that's when you can start separating you from your money, pulling this stuff out, putting it over someplace. This is how much of your money that the state legislature has already separated from you. You can go ahead knowing this is the minimum wealth level no one can take that from you. We'll cover separating yourself from your business later on. And we'll cover how to separate even more from you in later podcasts. But your state level exemptions are that way. And give you a reference for it, you know, Arkansas statutes were 16-66 starting at 201. Minnesota statutes chapter 550 is where you're going to find all that stuff for Minnesota. I'm not saying that because I think you're going to actually go out and run and look at these statutes. You, you, you might if you're in Minnesota, Florida, or Arkansas and you really want to take a look at yourself. But you need to know where to go find them in your state. And you just sit down and look at what do I have at risk personally? What do I have at risk business-wise? And what's separated? And that's how you can make those deliberate decisions. That's how you're going to make sure you pull those things away from you and away from the business and put it away for the family. So the, the family has it in this generation and next generation and the generation after that. Everything starts with looking at the exemptions first, making those choices of what you're going to risk in the pot, and then you're going to make choices about what you're going to pull out as the pot grows. That's the attitude you should have towards it. And remember that disabilities, income, veterans benefits, Social Security, and things like that, most states are going to exempt those. Because if you're already getting money from the state, why are we going to let a creditor take money from you so that we have to give you more money from the state to survive? That hurts the state. That serves no one. At that point, the creditor, well, you take nothing. That's the risk. Because we're not going to let you cost the state and the people more. So that's the one thing about it. You know, if you're worried and you, you're getting hurt and get disabled and things like that, outside of there being like collateral liens, most of the time your money is going to be protected to give you that minimum level of income and that minimum level of quality of life. And never fall into that trap, that judgment-proof trap. There's a lot of folks who've talked about things. They say, you know, I'm going to become judgment-proof. You know, I'm going to go down to Florida. I'm going to put everything in my house. It's going to protect it. I'm going to be judgment-proof. They can't come get something. Think about that for a minute. You may have that money, but if it's all tied up in your house or all tied up in these other things and these things that are hard to get at, what kind of quality of life are you really going to have? If you can afford a $5 million house, what's your standard of living? What's your expenses and expenditures that you got to go out there in the world to use, right? A $5 million house lifestyle... A $300,000 house lifestyle, you know, there's, there's a bit of money that is required to do those things. To really be judgment-proof, put everything in there, and basically live like a rat, not spending any kind of money on that? Is that any way that anyone wants to live? No. You're going to end up in some kind of a bankruptcy situation. You're going to scream uncle, and you're going to pull that money out and start to do things with it. And it's, and, and it's going to be a little bit different with that. Don't plan to be judgment-proof. Plan to know what you're risking and only risk what you want to risk. And keep this in mind, too. Anytime you're putting personal guarantees on things, right, for your business, if you put a personal guarantee on it, you're now exposing anything that's not exempt to a business asset debt. So we can go and we can separate you from your business at all times, right? 
But then you go and pull yourself right back into it, putting that personal guarantee on there. We'll talk about that more later on. But those are the things you really got to look at is what do I have that's exempt? What do I have that's exposed? And how can I take that off? How can I minimize it? Am I risking too much? Am I really too, too worried because there's a lot less at risk than I thought? And how much more have I put on my plate by giving uh, people collateral and liens on things, you know? So after today, you should be able to find out what you're actually at risk, what you've got on your plate. And next time, we're going to be talking about other things and how you can take those next steps and how you can start to protect things and really pull it away and, and keep it there for your family. So that's it for today. Um, it's a short podcast, obviously, but it covers a very important topic. But this is always where you should start when you start looking at um, these asset protection strategies. We hope you've enjoyed the content from Family Prosperity Partners. And if you want to learn more and you want to be a part of a group of like-minded families who are pursuing excellence both in their business and their legacies and are really committed to that family governance and really committed to creating that lasting legacy to affect their communities and affect their families throughout all the generations, then you're going to join this community. And uh, we welcome you in advance to the Family Biz Group. And if you'd like to join, click on the link that's in the description down here here and we'll see you in there and hope to see you and join the conversation soon.